0: Are you tired of tribalism?
1: I think a lot of what the left supports is satanic. The only time religious freedom is invoked is in the name of bigotry and discrimination.
0: Are you exhausted by the culture war?
1: If they don't like it here, they can leave. You could put half of Trump supporters into what I call
0: the basket of deplorables. Are you suspicious of those who say Jesus endorses their political party? Is it possible to be a good Christian and also be a member of the Republican party? And the answer is absolutely not. From certainly a biblical standpoint, Christians could not vote Democratic. We trust the lamb, not the donkey or the elephant. This is the podcast that's too liberal for conservatives and too conservative for liberals. I'm Patrick Miller. And I'm Keith Simon. And we choose truth over tribe. Do you? Okay, I have a confession to make. I am not big into Christian art culture. I don't spend a lot of time listening to CCM, you know, Christian contemporary music or worship music. I, as a rule, watch no Christian movies because I think they're all terrible. And that's really the problem with the whole thing is that most Christian art is bad. It's cheesy. It's poorly acted. And then you always have this experience of, you know, maybe a baby boomer mom or dad saying, oh, you need to go watch this new Christian movie. And you're like, oh, man, this is not a movie that <laughs> any interest in watching because I know it's going to be terrible. But there has been one major exception to this rule, and that's a TV show called The Chosen. If you haven't watched it, it's in its second season, and it's telling very slowly the story of Jesus and the disciples. And what I love about it is that it really humanizes these characters that we read about in the Bible. It reminds us not only that Jesus was a human, Jesus was a person, but so were everyone that followed them. And they were living inside of a cultural moment. And so it takes creative liberty. It adds in elements that weren't there. For example, they imagined Imagine that Matthew, who was a tax collector, might have been autistic, and yet I think that it's helped me appreciate my Bible more deeply. It's helped a lot of people re-engage with the Gospels and understand, look, what happens in this show isn't exactly what happens inside the Gospels. There's a lot of added stuff, and yet it helps people remember that the stories of these men who were following Jesus and these women who were following Jesus, they were real-life people with real-life concerns, with real-life heartaches, with real-life needs, And so today I'm really excited because we have on the executive producer of The Chosen, Daryl Eves. I actually first started following Daryl Eves a while ago because he's really well known in the YouTube world. In fact, he's kind of known as the great guru of YouTube. He's created some of the biggest YouTubers out there, and he even wrote a book called YouTube Secrets, which is an excellent book. And so he has a great understanding of YouTube. So I thought it'd be fun to bring him on because it'd be great to talk about The Chosen. It'd be great to talk about him because he's actually a Mormon. And so this has created some controversy because the creators of the show, the creative vision of the show is most mostly evangelical, but you've got him, an executive producer who's a Mormon, and so how do they navigate that? But also to talk about YouTube, for example, how do we think about the fact that YouTube right now is promoting content to kids that's about gender ideology, that's introducing them to quote-unquote non-binary people? And so this is kind of a wide-ranging, interesting conversation, but we'll start with The Chosen, we'll work our way to YouTube, and we'll talk about everything in between. Daryl, it's great having you on the show today. I'm excited to be here, Patrick. I am a big fan of The Chosen. You're a producer on The Chosen. Now, my guess is most of our listeners have probably checked out The Chosen, maybe watched it, have heard of it. But could you just briefly explain to us, what is The Chosen? Yeah, you'd be surprised how many people
1: haven't seen The Chosen yet. So those that haven't seen The Chosen, it's the first multi-season series about the life of Jesus Christ's ministry. It really digs deep on those that he called to start his ministry and those that followed him, the disciples. And it goes through kind of where they were at in their life and the whole character arc of them discovering who Jesus is, the Messiah, and how their lives have literally been transformed in good and even in bad ways.
0: What I love about it, well, there's two things. Thing number one, it's artful. Excluding Mel Gibson's The Passion, most of Christian art around Jesus is kind of cheesy or it was like made in the 70s. And why are we still watching this? I am curious to ask, I'll go to my second favorite thing, but why has it been so important for your team to make this an artful show?
1: Well, I think it's more coming back to my partner, the writer-director Dallas Jenkins, his quest of understanding humanity he is a student of humanity and he loves people and people have different issues at different times. And so I think that the secret of the chosen, it's relatable. And that's where the artful comes into it. Cause when you're talking like passion of the Christ, Mel Gibson, that was pretty brutal. It's intense. When you look at it, he did the whole brutality thing, but yet there was these moments that you never saw before the moments of dialogue between Jesus and his mom and things that you're like, oh my gosh, okay, this can be. And we wanted to take it to the level of really having it be relatable that not every disciple was the same and give a little bit of context and background to what it could have been like, what was plausible at that time when Jesus actually started his ministry.
0: I mean, that's actually the second thing I love about it is how human it is. We yeah. today are so used to literature that it's psychological in nature. So when you meet a character, you get a description of what they look like, and then you get a kind of view into what's happening inside their head. Whereas ancient literature, and especially the Bible, has a lot of reading between the lines. Like it's the artfulness of the story. You know, they do oh, a yeah. lot of showing, not of telling. And so sometimes I think, especially if you grow up in this stuff, you lose the humanity behind these characters. And so what I love is that, you know, you guys have said, look, this isn't the Bible, but you've infused some human elements. into it. What are some of your favorite human elements that you've added into the biblical stories? I love the question. And I want to give it
1: some context because when we first was kicking around the idea, and we even did the first four episodes of season one, they're like, Peter would have never done that.
0: I'm like, really? (laughs) Like, are you sure? Like, Like what wouldn't he have done? The fist fighting thing? Like that's how you meet Peter's like out there brawling. Yeah, the whole preconceived idea of who Peter is, right? So everyone has
1: their own perception. So the thing that I love about the chosen, and this will answer the question, is the plausibility. So we do know for a fact that Peter lived in Capernaum. He had a brother named Andrew. He had a mother-in-law, so we know that he was married. Okay, that's what we do know. We also know that the publican that was in the same town was Matthew. So you know... Peter was a business owner. He had boats. He had a fleet of boats. James and John, son of Zebedee, lived in the same town. And we know for a fact that they had interaction with Matthew. Okay. You know that that happened. Now, two how would you respond to someone that is a Jew, okay, and betrayed the people and go work and collect taxes for Rome? How would you actually treat them? Now, being close to tax time right now, I am not too happy paying taxes. I'll be (laughs) honest with you. It's just like, there's a lot of frustration of like, man, I'm just trying to get ahead. And they take every dime, you know? So, I think at the end of the day, that's human interaction. And so what I love is, is it plausible that Peter, being a hothead, because that's kind of what I read into the Bible, would have some type of rub with someone that's a betrayer of the Jews. And so I love that context is we got to take a little bit more creative liberty to set stage to the epic moments of the Bible. So it's like, what is the backstory? What is the plausible backstory? Now, we don't know the way that it is, right? But we know, hey, is this plausible? Yeah, it could be. And what I do love, and this is what I'm just so passionate about, is reading the scripts for the first time. Like, I'm a Peter guy. There's a lot that we have in common. Like, I'm very impulsive. I'm really aggressive and, you know, all these things. And so I'm like, I love Peter. But I'll tell you what, Matthew grabbed my heart from episode one, just because the way that we have his character is he's on spectrum. And if you ever read the book of Matthew, I mean, he has to have everything in a perfect order. You know, it has to be in his perfect place. And so for me, I just yearned for him because I could see how he's misunderstood and how he didn't even understand the things that were going around from him. And then two, the whole Shabbat scene in episode two, it just crushed me as a follower of Jesus going, man, how often am I judgmental of the person that's just walking down the street and how I need to take a step back because we don't know what they're going through till we walk through their path. And that's what I love about The Chosen is we get to show these character journeys of where people are at and what the times are like. And if you look at what was happening in first century Judea at the time and what's happening now, there's a lot of similarities. You have a lot of oppression that's going on. You have a huge taxation. There's a lot of people that didn't have the means to even provide. So they were just living off of just the next mill. And two, when Jesus started his ministry, there's a lot of hatred towards the people of Samaria because there's like, those are the enemies. And that's where Jesus actually started his ministry. And so there's a lot of bigotry, hatred, racism, all that kind of all coming together. And I'm like, man, if there's ever a time in the world that the stories that Jesus taught, the greatest story ever told, needs to happen is now because they're so paralleled
0: why that time needed the Messiah and how we need the Messiah today. Absolutely. And I think you hit the nail on the head. There are so many questions, so many problems that we're facing in our cultural moment. The Bible has answers to it, but because we've almost anesthetized it, we've turned it into this superhuman story. We've lost how it speaks into our moment. And I love the creative choices your team has made. You know, I've heard people critique it and say, well, now people are going to start imagining Jesus in their head as the Jesus on the chosen, or like the Peter they read about as a Peter on the chosen, or they're going to think that things that happened in the chosen are things that actually happened in the Bible. And I always think that's a little bit silly because I'm like, Hey, if you don't know what's happening in the gospels and you're adding in things from the chosen, that's not their fault. That's your fault. <laughs> like at the end of the day, you don't know your Bible and that's okay, but that's why. I would agree 100%. And I
1: think this is a really big point is like, we want a billion people to see an authentic Jesus. Now, the authentic Jesus that we're portraying is a Jesus that had a mom. He had personal human relationships. He had disciples. He had one-on-one relationships with that. And I think sometimes, I know I felt in this trap growing up, it was just like, I only see the deity side, but I never really explored the humanity side. And I'll be honest with you, that's what I needed. I needed to understand the humanity side of Jesus. And if the chosen can just put a little color into that, I think it's going to give a lot more clarity on what we actually need to read in the Bible. I don't think that we'll replace it. Like we don't even want that. We just want to steer people to the source. And ultimately when they pull open the scriptures and they start deep diving into what he taught, they can have a little bit more understanding was, hey, he's not distant. He's actually right here. You know, he's right here waiting for us. He has his arms open. And I think he's a lot more approachable than what we allow him to be. And I think that's the whole essence of the show is knowing, hey, there is the humanity side, there is the deity side, and he had that balanced perfectly. He knew exactly what we needed and what the disciples needed at the right time and in the right way. And I don't think our minds can comprehend that. We're trying our best to do it in a way that
0: can showcase that. I know a lot of people who have told me, that this show has helped reinvigorate their faith for the reasons you just said. It rehumanized Jesus. It brought them into these real life living stories and that's allowed them to read their Bible as what they've always been, real life yep. living stories. I'm curious, what stories have you heard? Does there have to be people who are watching this who are atheists, who are agnostics. Like, What are some of the coolest stories you've heard of people responding to this show in interesting ways? Well, Patrick, how much time do you got? Because every day, like every day, we're getting hundreds of
1: impactful stories. Tell me your favorites it's hard to choose. It's like picking your best child. It's like, how do you do that? I think the constant theme was this. And I think this is one where I was giving Dallas some of my concerns was when I read the first episode script and I go, <laughs> I turned to him, I'm like, cause I'm not the writer, right? I'm just the marketer. I just try to push that out to it. You know, I'm running the company, whatever. But I turned to him, I'm like, dude, this is like dark. <laughs> do we really want to start the show like this? And this is what he said. He goes, Yes, we do, because this episode is pretty much what The Chosen is. It's about hardship. And then when they meet the Messiah, when they meet Jesus, the transformational element of redemption, he goes, that is The Chosen. And yet Jesus was only in there for four minutes, but it's just that moment of, oh my gosh, that redemption moment and that journey. And why I use that as an example, because you had a suicidal woman that was demon-possessed That had all this stuff happening to her because of trauma, whether it's PTSD from the Romans or from losing her dad or whatever that is, right? She was dealing with a lot. And that was the moment that Jesus went into a bar and started the process of redeeming her. And I love that because I can't tell you how many people have reached out and says, I am exactly like what Lilith was who became Mary. That's my story. I was suicidal. I was just moments away of really taking my life and I had this ad or I saw a video or someone shared a text message to go watch the app and then that was my story and I was hooked and I knew there's so much more. And so I would say that would probably be probably the most important for me because of how raw that is but also how many lives that are being impacted because they can relate. They can relate to maybe where they're at with the pressures of the world. And see that there's still someone there that knows exactly what we need and knows exactly the timing and is waiting, just waiting to pull us into his life, into his realm.
0: I love hearing these stories. To change the focus for a second, you said that you're the marketing guy. And I think it's one of the most amazing marketing campaigns I've ever seen (laughs) is is this campaign you guys started called The Chosen Sucks, S-U-X, The Chosen Sucks. And you guys put up billboards where they looked like they'd been vandalized with people saying that The Chosen Sucks. You created these YouTube videos and a website with this demon trying to train his demon underlings to get people to stop watching The Chosen. My favorite part, by the way, is when Satan's writing on the chalkboard and he's like, the chalk sounds like scratching nails, and he picks up the eraser and he goes, and he wipes Nickelback. with the erasers, it sounds like Nickelback, and he wipes and he get this Nickelback sound coming down. i like, oh, this is so good, um, and that DMV is lower than the hell. Anyways, yeah, yeah. Um, so let me ask, why did you guys do this campaign? Why The Chosen sucks? I mean, you didn't need more press. I mean, people are talking about it, but it seems like there's a point behind this one. Yeah.
1: Very good question. So some context, myself and Jeffrey Harmon, who is one of the founders at Angel Studios, we were the executive producers on the
0: Squatty Potty Pooping ad. It's like the most viral video <laughs> ad of all time. That's kind of how you made your name, right? Exactly. It's like, we, we got to do it. I have a Squatty Potty, by the way. I'm really glad you made that ad. It's helped my life. <laughs> it's helped my life too, because the product actually works, but um, it
1: does. getting off the crappy stuff. I think that the essence is, Sometimes when you approach people, you're in a vacuum chamber. And realistically, we haven't even hit market penetration for just Christians in the U.S. Like we're not even remotely close. In fact, I was in Chick-fil-A just the other day in Chick-fil-A, there's a good place, you know, in Texas in Chick-fil-A. And the guy <laughs> didn't even know who The Chosen was. And he's
0: like super engaged. Wait, hold on. Let's rewind. Someone at Chick-fil-A didn't know what The Chosen was? Exactly. My mind and that, is that's, blown. The whole,
1: that's my whole point. It's like, there's a lot of people that don't even know it because they're in their own little bubble. Marketing's all about connecting people where they're at and pulling them in to understand what your brand is and so on. I can tell you from day one... The biggest generation that I'm the most concerned with and the reason why I spent the bulk of my career on YouTube was helping this up and coming generation have moments of light in their life. Cause like there's different influencers on YouTube that are leading them down to the path of destruction of doing things that are not appropriate. And they're leading them down to becoming numb to the things that are important. And so I was on a quest for that light and knowing who this generation Z is knowing what makes them tick, we got to think differently. we got to approach this differently. And one of the brilliance of this campaign is that right now, that generation, they're looking to activate. They really want to activate. They're very evangelistic. Once they figure out what they're about, they just get behind and they start movements. Okay. So like, we want that generation. We want the generation to come on and start a movement for Jesus. And so how do you get their attention? Well, the best way to get their attention is to cancel the chosen, you know, and who's best to cancel the chosen. The devil. (laughs) Like it just doesn't get much better than that. So it grabs their attention, pulls them in. So let me give you part two of the Chick-fil-A story. It was the launch of the campaign. And I was with a team member that hadn't seen the campaign. And I just pulled out my phone because that's what I do. I just watch YouTube videos and everything on my phone. I pull it out, turn the volume up, put it right there. And it was the joining booth. And the dad stops, says, hey, what do you guys do? And I stopped the video. And I says, oh, because he saw us pray and whatever. I says, oh, we work on a TV show called The Chosen. He goes, what's that? And I explained what The Chosen is. And he goes, oh, I haven't even heard of it. And I go, well, how active are you in your congregation? Because I'm assuming you're active. He goes, oh, yeah, yeah, I, two or three times a week. We're actually leading a Bible group and you know all this other stuff. And I says, you really haven't heard about The Chosen? He goes, I have no idea. And so anyway, he was just having dinner with his son, who's Gen Z. And I hit play again. His son gets up, goes around and watches the ad. And he goes, oh my gosh, this is so good. And then he just starts to laugh and whatever. Dad downloads the app because it piques his curiosity. We spend a little bit of time talking about what The Chosen is. And he literally told me, my 21-year-old and 17-year-old are so disconnected from who Jesus really is. I says, well, I'd encourage you to get The Chosen because this show is for them. And it's also for you. Anyway, he binge watched the show because we binge Jesus with The Chosen and he was able to get three episodes and he sent me a text message that, dude, this is amazing. This is exactly what we need. And it all came from a conversation from a very disruptive ad because what he said, and I didn't tell you this, he goes it's not very smart doing a devil campaign in the Bible Belt (laughs) because it's not going to work very well. I'm like, well, it worked for your kid.
0: Well, I love that. I love how disruptive it is. I mean, it's like screw tape letters. I mean, evangelicals should have a category for this, but we also kind of love to be what we're against, not what we're for. But here was one of my questions. I know that there has been controversy around The Chosen. And so I didn't see it even so much as, hey, let's reach Gen Z. I saw it as, hey, we're kind of picking on the people who are out there saying that The Chosen sucks and we're making fun of why would you say that this thing sucks? Was that part of the impetus behind it?
1: Yeah, I would more say that there's a preconceived idea that Christian media is bad. And so a lot of people over the course of the last four and a half years is like, ah, no, all Christian media is bad. Well, no, not necessarily. There are a lot of bad, cheesy content, right? But The Chosen is different. Reverse psychology marketing is one of the most effective out there. And it just works. I mean, even Chick fil A is doing it, is having cows writing, eat more chicken on their billboards. It's like when you see that, there is just like that trigger for human emotion to say, well, why shouldn't I watch it? Or why does it suck? And so there's that curiosity factor that they'll actually go into the content.
0: Yeah, yeah. So how have you been responding? Because one of the major controversies that's come and kind of circled around The Chosen has been the fact that on this project, leading this project, you have an evangelical Dallas Jenkins. You have a Mormon who's you. You have people from Catholic backgrounds involved in the project, Messianic Jewish background right. involved in the project. And people are saying, hey, we can't talk about Jesus with A Mormon. We can't do a show about Jesus as an evangelical with a Catholic or with a Messianic Jew. And so I'm just curious for you. I mean, how are you leaning into that? How are you responding to that critique?
1: Well, I want to make it clear that the creative control of the content is Dallas Jenkins, who was a Bible major at school, film and Bible major, right? And he's obsessed of getting it right. And he surrounds himself by people, not myself, but people like Dr. Huffman, that gives him a lot of clarity of what it would have been like during that time. He also brings in Rabbi Jason, who's a Messianic Jew. It's like, what is the cultural significance of things? and wants to get a lot of clarity, but he literally has the ultimate voice for the chosen of what's being written. I don't even speak into it, nor anyone outside of the writers really do. It's just more, are we accurate? And he takes that approach. Now, that being said, being involved with the project, yes, we even have people that don't even believe in a God that are working on the project, but that doesn't take away from the project itself. The way I look at it is like, getting the Bible that we read. Like how many hands did that pass? And were they all believers? Were they all believers for you? Or were they all evangelical believers? Well, no. And did you have other people involved? Does that take away from the Bible itself? Now, I'm not here to compare the chosen to the Bible because like literally we're a TV show. It's like nothing. The Bible is the Bible and the Bible is where we need to go. But the whole purpose of it is, is there's a lot of hands that touch the thing, even for marketing and everything that go to it. And yet they don't have problems with that. I think that people are super sensitive to the content and they're like, hey, this is ours, not yours. But Jesus came for everyone, you know, and what I love, and I'll say this from my core, is when Jesus started his ministry, we can learn from that as his followers, okay? Where did he start it? Who did he actually say it to first that he was the Messiah? Who did he proclaim that to? Okay, let's look at that. It was a woman, okay? When you take the class of people, you had animals, women, right there, okay? They weren't even higher up in hierarchy at all. They're very, very lower class citizens in that realm. She was a Samaritan. So the enemies of the Jews. Okay. So they had thousands of years of conflict. And yet this is where he was actually proclaiming his divinity. And then also she was a woman that wasn't even in the same category of all women there. She was kind of cast out. She'd been married five times, kind of pushed off aside, side, and she was even looked down upon even at that moment. And so What that teaches me is Jesus came for so much more than just a religion. He came for the world and the world deserves to see what he taught. And then when he started his ministry and when he impacted the people in Samaria, that really disrupted the people that were his disciples. It had to cause some conflict, you know, we kind of show what could have been plausible, but like, I even thinking, okay, you're going to your enemies first. And this is where we're starting our ministry, you know, like, wait, wait, whoa, whoa, Jesus. But reality is, is he came for everyone and we've made it quite clear. Dallas is going to lead the creative and the writing and all this other stuff, but we're going to get this out to a billion people. We're going to get it out. We're going to flood the earth with this, getting it to all corners in different languages. So people can know an authentic Jesus. And that's what I care about.
0: I was going to joke in the middle of that. I'm very careful with my Bibles. I go to the paper mills and make sure that everybody who's handling the paper follows Jesus. Otherwise, it's an unholy Bible, you know, so we got to go back to basics. So I see part of this and it's just ridiculous to me. I actually think there's beauty in the fact that there's actors who aren't Christians who are on the the show. And I'm curious. I mean, I wonder how this is going to change their lives, their perception of Jesus. I mean, have you heard stories from them about, hey, this is making me think differently?
1: I don't like to speak for the actors because actors, you'd have to ask them on that. I do know that both the cast and crew, and I'll just do this more as a blanket response, have been impacted in one way or another. And there have been a lot of people that have found Jesus along the way. And I think the essence is this story is much more than just a TV show. From my perspective, it's literally helping people understand who Jesus is and it leads them to the source. I want to share something with you. We haven't really made this public yet, so I'll leave it here. (laughs) I guess (laughs) we're going public here now. But I had this weird idea a couple of years ago. I'm like, what happens when Gen Z sees this, right? Like what would happen if we got maybe nine or 10 Gen Zers, put them in a room and have them binge watch the show? What would be the transformational moments? In their lives, would they reposition some thoughts? You know, where would they go? And what's amazing is out of nine, and we're getting ready, we've shown this documentary a little bit at colleges, and we're just getting ready to kind of launch this out. It literally shows people reprocessing their thoughts and really seeing Jesus for who he is. And there's a couple beautiful moments in there one of redemption that is just unbelievable. When someone felt that Jesus was approachable where they thought that he never was and seeing the next steps of what they do and where they go for the ultimate source. Cause it's not the chosen. I can tell you that,
0: but it led them to the source. Yeah, you're a guidepost. You're not the destination. You're pointing them away on the journey. If I can take the alternative side and be empathetic to maybe your critics for a second, even though I probably disagree with them, I just made it clear. What I can imagine someone saying, their concern would be, look, Jesus isn't just another character or historical figure, right? He is the creator of the universe. He's the most important person who's ever lived. He's the guide for our lives. And so the reason why I'm upset that a project like The Chosen would have atheists and agnostics, why it would have... you know, Mormons and Messianic Jews and all these different people, whichever camp you're coming from, right, is because when that person gets involved, they're going to fundamentally alter the message that is the most important message on earth. I mean, even for you and me, right? Like, I guess I'm kind of an evangelical... I don't know what I like to call myself. I'm an EVAN something, And, you know, you're Mormon. We have differences in our belief that I would say are probably pretty significant. And so I can imagine someone in my camp saying, hey, how can you work with them? And by the way, the other way around, that someone in your camp would say, hey, how could you be working with these evangelicals who don't agree with what we say on these issues? So how are you thinking through that? How are you processing through that? Well, I like
1: to get to the source of it is put theology aside, and we're just talking about the stories of Jesus. That's what we're doing. Yeah. We're literally focusing in on what's in the Bible. And you can see the moments, like when Peter is called, it's like, I had so many people that were non-religious, religious from different faith backgrounds. Says, Was that really in the Bible? I'm like, go find out. There it is. You know, and they're like pleasantly surprised. Oh my gosh, it's actually in there. I'm like, you need to read the Bible a little bit more because yes, it's been in there the whole time, you know, but I think the essence is who is the guardian of the content and that's Dallas. And so it is his perspective. Well, I agree 100% on everything of what he does and how he approaches it. I don't know. I have up to this point, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and what happens when there's a disagreement? Well, there is no disagreement because he's the content creator. I'm not like yeah. he gets to create whatever he wants from that. So I can tell you this, and this is something that he feels weight with of making sure that he gets it right. He needs to make sure that we had a little bit of delay with season three. It was actually a pretty big delay. One of the reasons was supply chains and getting things built and all this other stuff. It's just been really hard to go from there. But I'll be honest with you. Everything stopped for The Chosen because the scripts weren't right. Dallas just didn't feel good with it, with the direction that he was going. And they rewrote and rewrote and rewrote. And so it created a ripple effect, of course, but he wants to get this right. And so regardless of who's working on it or why, we are going to tell the stories of Jesus from the perspective of Dallas and the writers, and we're going to try to be as accurate and plausible as possible. But do you know what? You might not agree with everything that's going on. There's a lot of people that really had issue with another controversy of Jesus preparing for the Sermon on the Mount. He's God. He just did. And and so there's even people that find fault there, but All we're doing is we're trying to do our very best, not to mess it up. And it all comes with Dallas. Like he's just making sure that he takes this prayerfully. He does a lot of consult with his wife, who's just super amazing, super connected to God and gives a lot of clarity to the scripts. And then two... The scripts really translate into what you see on screen. So there's not much variation from that.
0: I love that people got upset over Jesus preparing. What in the world is more holy about just coming up and extemporaneously speaking (laughs) as versus doing your hard work? Like the dude was a carpenter. He knew how to work. He knew how to repair. So that's interesting. Could I say something? Because I think that was one of the most impactful moments for me.
1: I can't even tell you how many times I read The Beatitudes and I read Sermon on the Mount. I couldn't even tell you how many times. But when I read the script. It just crushed me because it realized in the chosen, not necessarily the Bible, but what we thought is plausible is he was thinking about his disciples of how diverse they were and why they were needed and all of them were needed. And the traits that they actually brought to the ministry are traits that will lead us to him, you know? And so it's just like, oh, here's the collective traits. And so I honestly, I could not contain myself because I'm like, Hey, God knows us and he knows what he needs. And he calls imperfect people for his ministry, right? And they had certain qualities that were needed as a whole, as a collective for his church. And I'm like, how beautiful is that? Like, how beautiful is that? Because even seeing someone's flaws, we're really quick to see people's flaws, but seeing how he sees us is where we need to have a lot of clarity. And I think the chosen helps people a little bit go on that path, that journey to seeing how God sees them as well.
0: I agree, and it goes back to that humanizing aspect. Look, I think you guys are going to continue to deal with these controversies. I think you'll continue to face them. And I think that there's valid concerns. You know, you said, hey, let's put theology aside and let's talk about the stories. And I look at that, I'm like, well, hold on, the Bible does its theology and story. So it's not that simple to say, hey, over on the side, over here, we get our ideas, and over here, we get the stories. It's more about how you
1: interpret it, though. That's the difference between, like, we want you to interpret it how you want, right? And so you can interpret any way that you want, and that's how you would look at a piece of content. But I think the essence is, why did Jesus turn water into wine? We're not getting into theology of how it happened.
0: Like, it just happened, right? Like, there's the- But I think in the answer to that question, there is an interpretation and there is a theology, right? To answer the question, why did he do it, is for me to tell you something true about God and the nature of Jesus, which is what theology is. And so the chosen is an interpretation. And that's what we want. We
1: want you to be able to go and explain that, right? But was that explained exactly in that moment? Well, no, it wasn't. It did go back into what was happening in the Bible in this first recorded miracle. And we gave plausible backstory of why that was important. But the theology is what we perceive, right? And then too, it creates these moments that you can have these discussions of really deep diving into that aspect of it.
0: Hmm. Yeah. I think what you said is also just really fair. You said, look, let's just be really clear here. Dallas is the kind of creative director and the creative vision. And so he's going to be the person who's making the final calls and things. And what I like about that is that it's honest, right? To people who aren't evangelicals, who love the show and they know there's an evangelical guy running it. Well, it's just honest to say, "Look, that's who's running it. (laughs) Dallas is the guy behind it. That's his background. Dallas is the son of a guy who wrote the Left Behind series and was a part of that. And there's a lot of stuff in that series. Me personally, I think is like kind of nonsense. I don't agree with any of it at all. So am I going to stop listening? to the chosen or watching the chosen because he's the son of this dude who I disagree with on some things? Well, no, of course not. And are there going to be things on the chosen that I disagree with? Sure, there's going to be. Everybody's going to have those moments with it. But like we just said, it's an interpretation of what happened. And just by engaging with it, I hope it does press people more deeply into the Bible. Let me shift our conversation really quick. I want to talk about YouTube because that's actually how I got to know you first. It wasn't The Chosen. <laughs> I remember when I found out you were working with The Chosen, I was like, wait a second. I follow Daryl Leaves. I know who he is. That's super cool. You obviously made your name on YouTube. And, um, you know, kind of like we were just talking about with The Chosen. Christians being on YouTube can be a little bit controversial. I mean, as we've put more stuff on YouTube, I've had people be like, hey, uh, this place is a cesspool. <laughs> you know, it's an absolute mess. People are following their darkest desires. How has your experience just kind of as a major YouTuber, how does that fit that paradigm? I mean, like we're like, yeah, YouTube is a terrible place and you see these really bad things, but how would your experience maybe also press against you? Like, no, it's actually not as bad as you think. And here's some of the cool things that can come out of it.
1: Yeah, so just for everyone, I've been on YouTube since the beginning, since 2005, and it was on my journey with my company. We have an agency that we work with top YouTube creators and brands. And when I started to identify audience development, like growing audiences and leveraging audiences, that became my jam. Like I got very, very good at it. I was able to get, I mean, up to this date, it's like 86 billion video views on YouTube. I found that there were a lot of content that would be shock and awe and it was leading this younger generation, Generation Z, down a path where they would want to mimic that. And that's what they thought was cool. And there was a couple of creators. I want to name their names, give me any more publicity than what they have. But they were just very, very bad role models. And I got five kids. and so There's no way that I could just stand by and let that happen. So I made a quest for me internally to find creators that have light and then I would help amplify that light. I would try to figure out which ways to do that. God gave me talents and abilities to get eyeballs on things and then create, you know, mechanisms to make money. And so for me I wanted to facilitate those type of conversations and get the right people that people would actually look up to. One being which who was a smaller creator about 4 years ago and he had a decision to make, a path to make of what type of content creator he'd be. He just was doing some stuff that was a little edgy or whatever. And it was just more showcasing, hey, people will respond to good quality content. And his heart was awesome. He just thought he had to go down that other road to get the views that everybody else was getting. Well, today he is pretty much the biggest YouTuber of all time. You can look him up. His, his name's Mr. Beast. He's getting about a billion video views a month. And the only difference would be is he's going out and helping people. He's giving people money, buying them houses, you know, giving them cars. You know, he has this philanthropy where he's helping the homeless. It's just amazing. And I can tell you that children today and kids today and Gen Z today are a lot more generous with people and they're willing to help. And I can't tell you how many letters that he's getting and how many people are impacted that they want to be more like him because of what he's actually showcasing on YouTube. So for me, I was always on a quest for that. And so I've helped facilitate a lot of creators out there to get great content. And I'll be honest with you. You'll always get bad, but there's always that counterbalance of good. And right now, what's unfortunate is if you take an extreme look on things on certain topics, YouTube throttles you. (laughs) And it's been frustrating. They don't want false information or whatever going out. But when it comes to entertainment, I mean, they're pretty open for that, but it's just like more political slash religious views. They just tend not to like that as much.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask about that. I was reading some things and it was suggesting that YouTube's algorithm, there's interesting what you just said, because it maybe almost goes against what I heard and maybe is not a totally bad thing, that YouTube's algorithm is increasingly prioritizing negative and critical content. That kind of the outrage takes, the angry responses, are what's being brought up to the front. But are you saying, no, I don't see that being the case? That's not how it
1: works. And I'll kind of explain how it works because I actually wrote the book on it. You can get it, youtubeformula.com. That's why I'm asking you got a book on that one. How it works is the algorithm is run by an AI, artificial intelligence. And all it's trying to do is predict what people want to watch and what will keep them on the platform longer. So kind of binge watching content. So that's the indicator that it looks for. And so when there is content like that, human emotion it was like, we get sucked into the drama. We get sucked into what's going on. And all the AI is doing is seeing what people react to and how they react to it. So it's more of a human thing than it is an algorithm thing. And then two, YouTube does suppress, they'll either age gate or suppress certain content if it gets flagged or, you know, a couple other things by either the community or also bots that's actually looking for some of that stuff. And then it just doesn't get as much visibility as it could, even though that it has amazing engagement.
0: Do you think that's maybe a little bit of an out? So like I'm thinking about Facebook and obviously Facebook has this exact same problem. They're using AI. The AI is trying to figure out how do I keep people on my platform? Oh, here's the way you do it. You give them content that makes them angry because when you're angry, you stay on. (laughs) You keep reading, you keep going. And so uh, not intentionally, no one said, let's focus on getting people outraged on Facebook. But as the AI did its job of keeping people on Facebook, we saw more and more outraged content on Facebook, which has in turn polarized us, caused more division culturally. Yeah, I can't even.
1: put YouTube in the same
0: stratosphere as Facebook, Facebook's a cesspool of (laughs) of that type stuff. So I don't even want to do that because... But are you afraid YouTube could become that? I mean, if it's just going down the path of keeping No, 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 I, I don't. I literally love the platform. I
1: see more of it. But let me kind of explain. You create your own reality. Like when you go onto YouTube, it's a personalized viewership that happens. So like what you see on YouTube is not what I see on YouTube. It's just based on what we consume and what is recommended based on our consumption and it's doing these predictable models. And I can tell you that one of my favorite topics of all time is I had someone k- getting up and was teaching something at a conference that I know it's called Vid Summit. It's where all the big YouTubers come in and it was talking about how much bad content is shown to him on the homepage every day. I had to get up and tell him, I says, well, it's based off of your viewing pattern. So stop watching it and you'll actually clean up your content. <laughs> like you literally will. Because, like, YouTube's only going to suggest what you watch. So you're watching risque and just have something else, or somebody has connection to your account. Was he a little embarrassed by that? He got all beat red. <laughs> but I wasn't going to let him mislead people. But it's like, <laughs> you are what you consume, and that's what you're going to get. And YouTube, if you actually like entertainment that makes you laugh, you will find entertainment that will actually laugh. If it's edgy, guess what? YouTube's going to give you edgy stuff. It's going to be a personalized type thing. Now, I do believe edginess. There's certain things that have happened on YouTube that are less likely to go to you because what happens is they want it brand safe. They want advertisers to say there's been too many controversies over the past, and so that edginess is causing flags so YouTube doesn't promote it as much. So if there's two pieces of content, one is brand safe, family friendly, that one's going to get all the views in the world. The other one's just really, really edgy. Let me give you the perfect example. I know I'm rambling here, but it's like the perfect example. YouTube is super sensitive to make sure their content is brand safe because that's how they make money. And if the brand pulls out, they don't make money. And so they're really, really sensitive to that. uh, Brands are super sensitive of what their content gets shown on.
0: So can you explain this for our listeners brand safe by that? You're just saying, look, I'm a brand. I'm showing an ad on this guy's YouTube channel. And I want to make sure that what comes before and after my ad doesn't make me embarrassed.
1: Exactly. So there's an algorithm that will demonetize or limit the amount of ads that's running on that video based on what's in the video. And so give you a Mr. Beast example. So he actually just released a video that was a week late because he uploaded it and it created a flag. They have a kind of a system, internal system for these bigger YouTubers to say if it's gonna be, have any ad issues or not. And it did, and it was because they were playing with fireworks. They played with fireworks in the video, it was super hilarious, but they had to edit that out because it age gated, saying, hey, we don't want this for younger audiences. And so he had to re-edit it, upload it the next week. And so I'm here to tell you, if there's ever a platform out there that really cares to have safe content as YouTube, I can tell you which ones that don't, TikTok and Facebook. Like they don't even care. It's accessible
0: <laughs> and it really
1: is. And I love TikTok by the way, but it's like, you can't go down a rabbit hole of darkness <laughs> and there's like no getting out, you know what I'm saying? And so that's why I love YouTube.
0: I just want to kind of drill in on a few things you said and make sure I'm tracking here. So number one is, and i tell people this all the time. I'm like, the most important thing you can do when you're on the internet is not click on trash. You don't want to see more of, <laughs> you know, because when you click it, you are telling everything inside of that artificial intelligence to keep giving you more trash, like the thing you just clicked. And so you're saying, look, take personal responsibility. Don't click on the clickbait headlines that are clear outrage If you don't want outrage, that's great advice. That's something I can actually control. I would be curious to know, can I actually alter that? Like, is there a way for me to go back and undo? You know, I was so outraged for these years. But the second thing that you said in the midst of this is that YouTube really does know what's in your videos. They have a very, very, I mean, they're pulling off a video that has fireworks in it. You know, the algorithm knows what's happening inside of the video. And so one of my fears in the midst of this, again, even as a creator is it's playing with the forbidden fruit. Like if you know that you can create outraged content, that's going to bring a lot of eyes. And sure, maybe you're going to get age gate, but you don't care about that if you're not trying to reach kids. If you're trying to create content that you want to get eyes in front of, then there's a real temptation to say, "I'm going to make this as outrageous and angry." I'm not saying outrageous in like the pornographic way. I'm saying like an outraged, angry dude, you know, yelling at the other side, the other team, the other tribe. Here's why I hate you. Doesn't it incentivize that kind of behavior on the platform if you know that it's going to create emotion? Yeah,
1: it depends on what you did. So, like three years ago. I did a presentation at my conference along with one of the smartest guys on the planet when it comes to YouTube. And he proved through data that if you don't swear, you'll make two X more money. So the question is, is what is your bottom line? Are you trying to make money on it? Because if you do the other approach of just swearing, F-bombs, everything that's going on, you're not gonna make as much money. In fact, you might even be demonetized based off of some of the stuff of how to use it. They're very cautious of how you use some language in it. Or you don't do that. Okay. So you as a creator get to choose, do I want money or not, or limited money. And so it doesn't matter how the amount of views, if you're getting only let's say a dollar or even 60 cents per thousand views versus $13 per thousand views, what would you do? I think that's where YouTube does it right is they actually incentivize great content because they can put ads on it and they can't put ads on the other one. So what's the incentive for them to make money? and that's what YouTube wants. They want people watching the content that they want and stay on longer because that's how they make more money by firing the ads.
0: So I like what you're saying. We're saying, look, there's a lot of places where we can look right now and say YouTube's doing a good job of working, rigging up its algorithm so that it's not pointing people to the most outrageous, outraged content. And yet we all know it's going to be a problem. It's going to continue to be a problem. And that's because of human nature. People love to be angry. People love to hate someone else. People love to watch the video that says Democrats are all from the devil and the video Says you know Republicans are all bigoted fill in the blanks, they just love it. <laughs> they love that energy. Okay, so so I have another question. I, I had a friend who was trying to set up a YouTube account for his kid, and part of the process was selecting an age range. And when he was doing that, YouTube is trying to show him here's the kind of content that your kid's gonna get. And he was a little bit alarmed by what he saw. He sent me a screenshot of what it was showing, and in the top left hand corner of the screenshot is a video about a this is the text a gender non-conforming person. And then there's three like 10-year-olds, 11-year-olds sitting on chairs who are presumably going to talk about this. He's like, man, I don't know if I want to give my 11-year-old a YouTube account because I don't know if I want her to be able to watch videos with other kids her age talking about their experience with this stuff. That doesn't seem age appropriate. Like maybe she was 14, 15, 16, a little bit older where we could have a better conversation. So how do you think through that? Like YouTube does have to decide what fits and what doesn't fit. And it seems like something that shouldn't fit. I really like
1: this question and I want to take it head on because like, get used to this. This is going to be happening all over the place, not just on YouTube, but across everywhere you need to be an active parent. (laughs) You can't expect YouTube to babysit your kids. I
0: love this. Amen.
1: (laughs) Okay. Like you need to be an active parent. You can go in and you can go through their history of what they're watching. And if there's this type of content that's coming up, The only way that it will come up is based off of their viewership patterns and so on. It's not like it's going to be right in front of it, but they're just saying, hey, this is the type of content that would be showcased if that's what they want to go down that rabbit hole. But you need to be an active parent where you're going through having conversations with them based on the content they're consuming. And it's really easy. You can just go into their watch history and you can be able to have those conversations. But you just don't give keys to a kid to drive a car. They don't necessarily do it. You need to be able to monitor them And I'm not here to tell you how to be a parent, but for me and in our household, I'm super open for them to watch what they want to watch, but we're going to have conversations really are. We're going to have conversations because those are the content creators you're watching. I know the content creators on YouTube and we'll have discussions. Is that appropriate that he doesn't use really good language? Is there a better content creator? You know, these aren't the standards that we taught you with, but they have their agency at that level, but for little kids, oh my gosh, I would be way monitoring that and having active parental discussions with them as well.
0: I think that's great advice. We can't expect that a big tech company on the West Coast that has its own particular worldview is going to monitor content that I'm going to totally agree with. And there might even be content out there that they're not going to highlight that would be great for my kid to consume. You know, my, yep. my daughter loves watching these videos on YouTube. This is like Bible story about thing, I'm forgetting the name of it. And they're great little videos. And you know, YouTube never showed it to me, but I heard about it and turned it on for her and she's able to watch it. But I do monitor what she's watching. You know, I'm not just leaving for six hours and hoping that something else doesn't come up on the algorithm. You know, we have a conversation about it. And so I love that. Watch what your kids are watching. Make sure that they're engaging with good creators. And I think maybe part of it we just said there is a paradigm that some parents might not have, which is it's not just what video are you watching, it's who are the creators that you're connecting with. So how do you monitor that? Because that might not even be a category. They think they're just watching videos.
1: What I would recommend parents that want to be actively involved in their kids, which I think all of them should, should just watch the videos that they're into. You'll be able to see the content creators based off of their viewing history you're able to just get through a couple of videos. Those videos might be 30, 40 minutes long. You're gonna need to go through it because it might not happen in minute marker one. It might be in minute marker 30. So like you just need to consume, have conversations with it as well. And then two, I always like look at behavior. So when there's like a behavior outside of what's normal for my child, I know they had an input that is setting them down a course that we just need to have conversation and saying, Hey, what's going on? I want to just close on this. And I know that we're almost out of time, but my parents were really, really, I wouldn't say controlling, but they really brought the hammer down of this is what you need to live. And you got to blah, 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 like that. And I really pushed against that. And so my parenting style is Different than that, because I don't want my kids to feel how I felt because I was getting disconnected from God that way because they're just authoritarian in that regard. And they weren't really bad, but it seemed that they were bad when I was a child, not necessarily as a parent. But I just wanted to have my kids confide in me. And I don't want to freak out. The moment I freak out, it's a trigger. And so I just want to be able to hear from them and have conversations because if there's ever a time that your child's going to be exposed to pornography and all the other stuff that's going on in the world, it's now. And you're never going to shelter them. It doesn't matter if you live in a freaking bomb shelter. If they have internet access or access to a cell phone, it's going to happen. The conversations just need to happen when that actually happens. Like, what are you going to do as a parent? And for me, it's never to overreact and then get to the root of it. And then having them come to the conclusion, is this appropriate content for them? And that's how I've navigated them. But that's my parenting style. You might have a different parenting style, but I would just say, take an active, aggressive relationship with your child in the sense of just being into what they're into and trying to figure out, is it appropriate or not? And then having those conversations,
0: man, I love that advice. And I think it really reflects our heavenly father's heart that he's someone who's actively engaged with us. He doesn't flip out when we make mistakes or else he'd constantly be flipping out, at least with me, he'd constantly be flipping out. Yep, yep. He engages with us and he meets us where we're at. And I think that's a beautiful picture of not just him, but how to parent. So anyways, thanks so much for being on the show. It's been so much fun talking to you. Thanks for letting us have a wide ranging conversation where we go over <laughs> Of different interesting things. I hope that our listeners will go and check out The Chosen and maybe even go check out your YouTube channel and see some of the good work that you're doing there as well. Thanks for being on the show. I
1: haven't been active since I've been with The Chosen. So my YouTube channel's neglected because I'm working on a higher <laughs> project. So
0: <laughs> I love that. I love that. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for being with us.